Hello and welcome to Warsaw Bursting Perspectives, our continuing series of podcasts to help you understand key issues at the intersection of business and law. Today, we're pleased to present a conversation with Marshall Lester, a partner at Warshaw Burstein. Marshall has more than 40 years of experience in the corporate arena, primarily in the areas of joint ventures, M&A, corporate finance, and securities law. And Marshall, great to be with you today. Well, thank you, John. Pleased to be here, too. International law has been a big part of your law practice, and today we're especially looking forward to hearing about one aspect of that practice, specifically your involvement as a teacher of international law in former republics of the Soviet Union. Can you tell us how you came to teaching? Well, I I guess um, maybe my whole career I always thought I would teach at some point. And now, well, I'm hoping I'm not coming towards the end of my career, but it's it's, it's, uh, later in life I have more time, and I thought I would try once again to start looking around where I might teach. And since I've been so heavily involved in the international arena, not just in law, but in in the personal level, in um, growing up, I've spent three years in Berlin living there. I... um, between law firms, I closed my one of my law firms down back in 1993, and I spent the next four or five years uh, in China with a business I developed. So uh, a lot of international experience, but it's led me always to be somewhat adventurous, wanting to just visit different places that I haven't been. And I came across this program with the Center for International Legal Studies, which was perfect for combining my desire to teach with the ability to do that in conjunction with traveling. The Center for International Legal Studies is a, it's a think tank that puts together numerous international legal programs. And the one I'm involved in is a program for, it's a program for teaching in law schools located in countries that were part of the former Soviet bloc. The idea and the concept really originated out of developments after 1990 when the communist world um, collapsed and these countries, Latvia, Lithuania, Armenia, all the countries that were once part of the Soviet bloc uh, tried to develop, not only tried, they needed to develop uh, a whole legal system from scratch. And so a lot of Western attorneys, professors were going to those countries early on to help them develop the legal system. And these courses developed uh, are a continuation of that. And so it's concentrating even to this day just on law schools located in the former Soviet bloc. Briefly, I've taught in the last few years in, um, well, I'll, I'll give you a test. You know where uh, Yerevan is? In Armenia. Um, In Armenia. My goodness, my goodness. Very good. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Many people don't. This year I'll be teaching a Tartu. Tartu is actually, it's the intellectual capital of uh, Estonia. The capital of Estonia is Tallinn. But the law schools, um, universities, as well as the the courts, including the Supreme Court, are all located in Tartu. In any event, uh, over these years I've taught in... As um, I mentioned before, Latvia, Lithuania, Armenia, a uh, couple of courses in Russia, and for me, they've been the most fascinating in Kaliningrad, in last this most recently last year in, in Moscow. 
Why were the courses in, in Russia itself the most fascinating for you? Fair question. In, in part, it's certainly the one in Moscow, what made it very interesting was the students. Usually I'm teaching to graduate students who are full-time with some part-time students of, who, who are working as well. But in Moscow, they were all graduate students, but they were all employed. And as some of them working as lawyers for businesses, others in their own law firm. So they were particularly engaging. What, what, what we learned, by the way, let me back up to give you a brief idea of what, this, what we learned and how you get into the CLS program, because that brings us full circle to why I found the Moscow program particularly engaging. First of all, to get into this program with the Center of International Legal Studies, you have to have, as, as I do, significant international experience because there is a major, well, let's just say you're teaching alone. There is potentially, certainly in Yerevan as an example, very little English spoken as there was in Kaliningrad. And so it's, it could be a cultural shock if you haven't had some major experience overseas. So... Uh, Step one, they, re they require some significant international experience to let you get in the program. Then they provide a week training in, in, in Salzburg, that's where the center is located, where they teach, really the main benefit to me is they teach you how to teach to foreign students and how they think. And the first thing you learn is that, unlike in the U.S., where students are much more readily willing to engage in conversations and seminars. Most foreign students are very reluctant to even speak up in class. And, and that's difficult. When you're teaching, you want to try to know that you're reaching them, and you know best you're reaching them by throwing out questions and seeing what you get for an answer. And when all that comes back is silence, it leaves you wondering, are they understanding? Because not only is it a question of getting through to them on the legal front, but there's also a linguistic issue. You want to make sure they are understanding, and you try. I try on day one to say to all of them, I'm doing my best to avoid using slang terms, but please raise your hand if you don't understand anything I'm saying. And when nobody responds at all, you can wonder who is understanding. But getting so being coming full circle back to Moscow, all these students were practicing attorneys, and they were very anxious to understand issues in depth of what I was discussing with them, because most of them were dealing with U.S. companies and very interested in knowing U.S. law uh, for their own business purposes. Delaware is very significant in U.S. law. I was Shocked is maybe an overstatement, but very surprised when one of the questions came to me was, could I explain why Delaware law is so important in the U.S.? Another question came up when I, in, in every course I teach, I start with a comparison of the common law, which is our law, with the civil law, which is most of Europe and most of these countries from the former Soviet bloc follow the civil law. I go through a comparison and one question that came up from this group was, well, what about Louisiana? Don't they have the civil law? Which they do, because uh, Louisiana's law came out of the Napoleonic Code because they were originally French. 
So when you get questions like that, you know, not only are they fully engaged, you've got a hot class. So that may be a long-winded answer to your question, why Moscow? But, and the politics also are interesting. Tell me about that. Well, on the political side, probably the most there's a lot of things I could mention. I try first of all, I try to stay away from getting into politics per se. I, or I try and tread on it lightly. Uh, with Trump uh, these days, it was a little easier to deal with uh, the Putin by referring to Trump and suggesting that maybe I didn't find him the most reliable leader that we could have, hoping I could engage them with a return on Putin. Um, I didn't get much of a response there. I did when I was teaching in Kaliningrad, which I could come back to in a moment, but what was particularly interesting in Moscow was the university I was teaching at, the uh, School for Social and Economic Sciences, had a program with, it was Manchester in England, in which they had an exchange program. And just a few months before I taught, uh, England had finally cracked down because of, uh, in their relationship with Russia, because of the poisoning that took place of English citizens by, presumed by uh, Russian spies. And so uh, the Russians were not particularly enamored at that moment of England. And as part of their effort to crack down, I'll use the word crack down is probably the wrong word, but they informed the university that unless they stopped dealing with uh, Manchester, they would close the school down. Now, that's pretty uncomfortable. I mean, first of all, have them closed down while I'm there. I mean, well, there's other things I could do as a tourist. But uh, uh, to realize the power that they extend to that point that they would actually close a university simply because the university was dealing with Manchester, England, leaving the students hanging, really. Any event, uh, that was one of some events in Moscow. But uh, differing uh, political views extended to the students as well. It wasn't just a matter of what the Russian government believed. Is that correct? Well, I, I saw that more in Kaliningrad when I was teaching there. Uh, Kaliningrad is an interesting background. It used to be that, that was Königsberg uh, from Germany. And after the war, Russia took over um, the eastern part of Germany. But the eastern part of Germany, which they still hold today, and it's called the Kaliningrad Oblast, which is about a 40-mile stretch of land, is west of the Baltic countries, Estonia, Latvia, and, and Lithuania. So when those three countries broke off from the Soviet Union, um, Kaliningrad in that section, the Kaliningrad Oblast, was cut off from Russia and still is. But still part of Russia. Still part of Russia, but physically it, it's not connected. And with the sanctions coming down, as they have ever since the Crimean crisis, Kaliningrad's trade was primarily with Poland, not with Russia, because Poland is its neighbor. And now it couldn't trade any longer with, with Poland. So there was economically, it was a very poor sector. But because it's located where it is, while I was there, Russia moved in missiles into the Kaliningrad Oblast as part of its effort 
to push back against the West's, how could I best put it? I mean, in terms of what the West was doing with in response to the events in the Crimea. So I, I, I asked the students what they thought about the missiles coming in, and they just thought it was quite appropriate. Uh, after all, the West was... Uh, getting was actually putting troops in uh, to Latvia, Lit- uh, Lithuania, Estonia, and it was an appropriate response. That's kind of understandable, somewhat patriotic, but at the same time, there had been a report issued by the Dutch government with respect to the downing of the Malaysian airline that was shot down over Ukraine, and the report came out pointing a finger directly at Russia. When I asked the students about it, their response was, well, that's just typical Western propaganda. Um, And it was a little uncomfortable that they didn't really give some thought to maybe there might be some truth in it. But then again, we know today that the press is, uh, according to a president, it's all fake news. So for them, that was fake news. But the most uncomfortable thing I think I saw... I saw that I experienced in Kaliningrad was the last day I invited the um, head of the International Legal Studies to dinner the last day that I was in Kaliningrad. And there I did ask her what the legal community thought about the takeover of the Crimea. And her response was rather astonishing. She looked at me and said that it was very obvious uh, when Khrushchev in 1955 had donated the Crimea, and she emphasized donated the Crimea to the Ukraine, legally it was simply a loan, and Russia was entitled to take it back at any time. So, you know, I I never push back when I'm talking to them about issues because I just don't want to make them uncomfortable, but I was uncomfortable with that answer. Any event, it was... uh, uh, kind of a disappointment, but uh, maybe not a surprise. We're speaking with Marshall Lester, a partner at Warshaw Burstein, about his uh, career as an international law teacher. And uh, hearing your anecdotes, it seems like you've gotten a lot out of participating in this program. I, I want to ask you more about that, but let me shift gears very quickly and, and ask, what do you think your students got from being exposed uh, to your knowledge of the American legal system? Well, that's a very good question, John. I, I, I wish I could answer that in some depth because, again, most of the students were not very willing to engage. Um, but I, I, I was also always trying to take at least one session each class I taught. And by the way, the classes were generally two to three hours, four or five times a week. But I would set aside one class where I would just sit with them to try and just close books and let's just talk about life, what you want to do, what, you, and what, what you're getting out of the class. And in those, to the extent that I, I, I was able to get feedback about what they thought about the classes, they, they really were less... With the exception of the Moscow class, I felt the others were less excited about the knowledge per se than about the way of life in the U.S. and how we react, how we acted 
with with our legal system, the sophistication of the system seemed to impress them. The, the history, the recognition that in common law, it's a tradition that comes out of a long, long history, and the recognition that their countries are just have a 10, 20, 30-year history. But as far as specifically getting whatever out of the course, I, I can't say that I can come away and feel that uh, I can pound on the table and say that I have left behind a lot of people who just are better for my teaching, but I know that I trust they're more knowledgeable. Um, the courses I teach are a combination, well, one or the other, corporate law, really they call it company law, or commercial law. And it's commercial law that most of them prefer because that's business law, and that's what they're going to be involved in in their world in trying to interact in the U.S., I also tell them all they can always call me anytime they want, but only a, a couple have called, but uh, most of them I haven't heard from since. It, it sounds to me that maybe you're not giving yourself enough credit, uh, and, and would it be fair to say that maybe your, your biggest role was merely as a cultural ambassador? And when I say merely, that, that's no small thing. Um, I say, oh, because I, I, I can't answer that. I'll, I'll, I'll leave that for you to say. But, uh, but I, I enjoy what I'm doing. I, I know that students are getting something out of it. They do engage somewhat. The last class, as I say, was fully engaged. And, and I also, another thing, the way the courses work, you, you deal with the classes as you find them in the sense of how the school prefers you to teach in this sense. One course required I give an exam. Another course required that I take attendance because the students would be graded on attendance. A third course I taught together with a professor. And so I taught integrated with his class. So he would speak a little, then I would speak to the issue. And linguistically, something may be worth noting. The students generally were very good. Their English was, was very good. Uh, on the other hand, the professors who grew up during the communist period, their English was more limited. And I felt a little bad for the professor I taught with because I felt that his students, since the course was taught in English, and a lot of courses in these countries are taught in English because English is important, and the students have learned English. But I felt that this professor was not communicating well with them in English. And maybe when I wasn't in the class, he might have spoken in his local language. But I couldn't understand some of the things he was saying, so I couldn't imagine how the students were. So the flip side of the question, what your students got out of it, is what did you get out of this? You've told us quite a bit of that, but, but if there's one perhaps memorable takeaway from your time as a teacher, what would it be? One memorable takeaway. There wasn't one memorable takeaway. I find it fascinating going to these different countries and learning about their culture, and each has a distinct culture. And just interacting with people. When you travel on a vacation... You don't really interact with the country. You see it. You uh, 
feel it, you may read about it. But when you're there and you're spending a few weeks, you, you do have an opportunity to get an in-depth perspective of the country. Um, I don't want to overstate that, but I come away feeling that I, I, I have gotten to know um, Yerevan and its poverty and the struggles of the people in Yerevan. Uh, the similar experience in Kaliningrad, the tremendous poverty there. Um, and also intriguing in these countries, their, their architecture with the history. And in, in Kaliningrad, for example, you have the architecture from the German period. Then you have the architecture from the Soviet period. And now you have the architecture from the post-Soviet, the modern period. Fascinating. And that's all I can say. I enjoy traveling, and I've found these, each of these trips by themselves fascinating. You have to write a report after you finish each assignment that's meant to be for future teachers. What do you try to put in that? And how would you, uh, to what extent would you recommend this program for other lawyers here in the U.S.? Well, the, the purpose of the report is so that future attorneys who visit these particular universities can know what to expect. As I say, it, it can be, particularly if you haven't had a lot of experience overseas, a culture shock when you go to a different country. But also, when you're going to these law schools, each one has its own parameters. As I say, some will want you to give exams in the end, and others will want you to give homework. Most do not want you to give homework to the students because they just don't have the time for it. But you want to present to, in this report what are the teachers, future teachers can expect when they go, the accommodations. Every, every university provides different types of accommodations. Some are good, some are poor. And when that happens, and when they're particularly poor, I'll upgrade. I had uh, in Moscow, for instance, I was given a, a room that just had a bed in it. I didn't even have a desk to work at, which I wanted. So I was willing to pay another $20 a night to upgrade from the facilities that the university was giving me. So you want to give an overview of, of what the uh, uh, teachers, uh, people who choose to teach in those universities can expect. That, that's the main reason for the report, and I, in turn, look to read prior reports so I have an idea what to expect when I travel. If an attorney uh, would like to uh, get involved in doing what you've been doing, how would they do that? Can they contact you? Tell us about that. Well, the, the Center for International Legal Studies uh, has a few requirements to get into the program. First of all, just go online in the Center for International Legal Studies and you can see the requirements to get into the program. It starts with a Skype interview with the head of the uh, uh, studies where they want to understand your background, why you want to come into the program, and in particular, as I mentioned before, to be comfortable you've had a lot of international experience yourself. Then they require that you do attend this one-week program. Uh, now, that's just for your own information, a requirement to attend, but uh, once they accept you for the program, it's just uh, it, it's, a pro it's, it's a week that's worth while because you really get some insights from former teachers as to what you can expect. 
But the key is showing, oh, they also do require some writing on the international, on international topics. Um, not all participants are attorneys or many professors, and of course it's easier for them to, prevent, to present um, works they, they've written. Uh, in my case, fortunately, uh, our firm is part of a um, international legal organization, the Euro-American Lawyers Group. And while I was representing us in that group some years ago, uh, we were producing quarterly newsletters. And so I was writing reports on American and, and comparative law for the newsletters. And that was sufficient for me to present to the program. But they are looking for your experience internationally, something in writing, and also some reasonable background. I think time-wise, you have to be a practicing attorney for at least 20 years. Other than that, if somebody wants to get into the program, I can only encourage them very much to do it. For me, it's been a fascinating experience. And uh, as we uh, wrap up, if uh, somebody wants uh, to reach you uh, to learn more about this or your practice of law, uh, how would they do that? Well, <laughs> reach out to me at my email address. It's, it's simple enough at marshallester at wbny.com. Uh, I'd be glad to speak with anybody who would have it and be interested in the program and uh, answer any not only any questions but pleased to discuss this with anybody. Yeah, it'd be my pleasure. Well, it's been our pleasure uh, to speak with you, uh, Marshall. We've been speaking with Marshall Lester, a partner at Warshaw Burstein, on his uh, career as a teacher of international law. And uh, Marshall, thank you very much. It's my pleasure, John. Thank you. 